0: Good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Silicon Beach Mobile Startup. I'm your host, Baron Murdoch. Some investment and investment companies become prolific, but usually a person doesn't have as much success as our guest today. Join me in welcoming Tim Draper. Tim, hey, thanks, Baron. For- oh, have- I appreciate you taking the time, man. I, I love your uh, your office, and your backdrop, the superhero. Yeah, you, back. you
1: see that? We got Superman back there. You know, and, and part of it's a mess because I had um, my daughter's two-year-old did a little redecorating here, <laughs> uh, ran around and just basically randomly pulled things off the shelves and threw them around. And yeah, if if you saw the rest of the office, you'd say, oh boy, this this guy is really. Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah, happy to be here and, uh, and thanks so much for having me on your show.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely appreciate it. And um, I don't know how many years ago it was that I actually flew up to Menlo Park with Cooper Mariamo and met with your dad. I want to say it was 2014 or 15, maybe. You know, he
1: just, yeah, that he's 92 now. And he just uh, came on Meet the Drapers with me. We have a, a show for Entrepreneurs. It's a little like Shark Tank, but people can invest. So you could invest $100 in the company that you see um, through a crowdfunding system. Um, and we, uh, and dad is on the Meet the Drapers with me. My dad and my daughter and my sister, and it's all generations, All it, it's a funny, it is funny. And dad is terrific on that show. So oh, I'm man, glad you got a chance to meet 'Cause he is something. I can imagine. Yeah, I was I was
0: really impressed. And I, I was reading a little bit on the the insight on your book, Startup Hero. We want to focus on that a little bit. And you highlighted, you you described your dad as kind of like the spirit, your mom is kind of like your guide, and your wife you love your life and kind of the inspiration. So I wanted you to touch on those three. I was like, wow, that was really impressive. <laughs>
1: yeah my dad um, he really is amazing and it, and uh, has done so much with his life and, uh, and his, he, he'll take a thing that and go after it until it's completed and, and fulfilled and and it's amazing how important that is in life to to execute well not just to have an idea or whatever but to execute well, and that's important for all entrepreneurs to know. In fact, I just had an email exchange with Elon, Musk. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And Elon I, I said, Elon, I, I wanted to get together and, and uh, bash some ideas around with you, with you And he said, "I'm too busy. And I, and I have uh, and I, I believe that ideas are such a small part of this, It's all about execution. And so I guess that's the message for everybody out there that if Uh you you really need to execute, and my dad has done that so well. He did it in the venture capital world. He did it uh, with the UN Development Program. He did it with the Export-Import Bank. And then he did it with his nonprofit organization, uh, DRK Foundation. Mm -hmm. Each time it was like, I have this idea. I know where I'm going. I need. I know. I know what I need to do, and then he would just execute on it. And uh, that was a, that was a great thing I learned from him. I also learned that it had, it has very little to do with who's selling and who's buying. It's uh-huh. more important just the human connection,
0: uh-huh.
1: who you're talking to. Make that connection. Doesn't matter who's buying, who's selling. It's just like, hey, let's figure out if something we could we can do together yeah, and, yeah uh and so those were all things i got from my dad my mom um died but she was a she was a amazing spirit and she was sort of i said guide because she was always really solid on where on morals and uh-huh. you know he she had a good sense for humanity and the community and uh and all of that and how how we acted in that community and she never said a single negative word about anyone in her life she said she did she never did because in high school she said something really nasty about somebody in her high school class and turned around and she was right behind her and (laughs) and she got this message from the stars that she would never again say any negative thing about anyone in the world and I've tried to do that I'm not because I'm in the venture business I have to say well you know this isn't really going to work but I can't I can't I do bite my tongue before I say you know oh, this is a jerk or something um, my But, but mom, that was what she did. And she was, everything was positive. So that was a really nice thing. My dad's a great optimist too. So I had to get swept up into that.
0: Yeah. I think being in this industry, you're forced to be optimistic because you never know where they exit or or where where is that next turnaround?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we have to be optimistic because, um, well, a pessimist, never really accomplishes anything. They're, they're very good at pointing out what's wrong, but they, they, they don't ever really accomplish anything. You have to be an optimist and you have to be willing to sort of fail and fail again until you succeed. You have to stand out there and go, we're going up the hill and people have to be willing to follow you. And you've got to actually eventually get to the top of the hill, whether it works or doesn't, you got to get there. And that is an optimist. An optimist will get you there. And so no, I, I encourage people to be optimistic. But if they are pessimists, there is some value to that. You need, because an optimist needs about 15 optimists with them, but they also need maybe one pessimist for every 15 optimists who is always pointing out what could be wrong.
0: Now, I read that you described your partner, um, Fisher, John Fisher, right? Yeah. You described him as being an intellectual but cautious and you being aggressive and optimistic. And that that Absolutely. difference between you two.
1: We were an amazing partner. We were amazing partners. Uh, he was very good at managing our limited partners and raising capital. Uh, And I was good with the entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and kind of divided up pretty much that way. I mean, he got involved in the entrepreneur. I got involved in the raising of the money, but, um, but he was, he had this natural, um, ability to, to show credibility Mm -hmm. He was incredibly good at showing credibility. And I, um, And I think I was good at capturing or empathizing with the entrepreneur, empathizing in in not just in like, Hey, boy, this is going to be tough for you, but empathizing in his vision, his or her vision. So they start on their vision. I could capture that. I could imagine it and I could project out whether this was going to be a good thing or a bad thing or a, a new thing or whatever five or ten years from now. That was kind of my my strength. And we um and we got along and did a great job for a long, long time. We were at each other's uh heads for a while um, until we brought in a third partner and Steve Jervison. Uh, Steve, Steve and he he was a pretty good tiebreaker uh-huh. uh, whenever we couldn't right come to terms on something. Um um, and now we've kind of all gone off solo. Um, I, I've got a you know, I, I, spun off and, um, and recaptured Draper Associates. Uh, John, uh, joined, uh, DFJ Growth, the, the later stage fund mm-hmm. and Steve went off, um, and he started his own, uh, venture firm too. So yeah, we all kind of went in different directions and it was time. What, what happens in venture capital is if you build too large a partnership, um, you your decisions become a little uh milk toast. They become the the the,
0: uh, the, the, the velocity or the speed of which making decisions? Slows the velocity,
1: down. Very slow, slows you down a lot. But also um, to get 10 people to agree that this is a good idea, very difficult to do. To get two people three people is a lot easier for yeah. uh, but with 10 people, you end up with decisions where everybody's kind of going, yeah, it's a pretty good deal. I'll let it go.
0: As is, it to, is it a group
1: think or is it really yeah. a good deal? And we tried lots of different systems. And, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the systems we should have employed was the decibel level in the room when we were fighting over whether we should do an investment or not because if the decimal level raised was raised very high we knew we were on to something okay even if there were more people against it than for it that's Uh, that's a good uh, there was something going on it's like wow it gets passion people to be passionate about it right right you're starting a business you're up against these big, huge monoliths that have been around for years and years, have tens and hundreds of thousands of people working for them. Mm-hmm. you got to figure out, you know, how to capture the passion of some customers somewhere. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I I know my, my audience, most of them, the smart ones will already know who you are. But the fact that you have seven plus unicorns uh, from Hotmail, how many total? Thirty-five. Thirty-five. Okay, I'm a numbers guy. I like that. Thirty-five. Let's keep it track. So if you got thirty-five, then you have way more than the two hundred and thirty billion dollars in market cap that I see that you've created from those companies. That is huge. Yeah. From it's, Tesla, it's to Hotmail to Skype to DocuSign to Baidu. To Solar City, um, incredible.
1: Yeah, actually, that's right. And um, and Tesla has crossed the one hundred and fifty billion dollar market. One hundred
0: eighty some billion right now.
1: Yeah, great. So um, so that I think is the farthest along. Although, arguably, um, Skype, if it were independent, would probably be worth more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe Hotmail would be. I don't know, if they, if they stayed independent, maybe they would have been um, up there. But uh, we're very happy with what those companies have done, those people have accomplished so much. Uh, we, we can all communicate in a much better, and easier, and more wonderful way, free, mm-hmm. around very the world perfect. because yeah. of these people. Uh, all the people in china have have access to all this information because of baidu uh that, yeah we've had uh it's been really great and and uh, getting involved with elon where he um he focused on the electric car and then he he's getting getting us off the planet i think those are those are two things that we need either either you save this planet with the electric car or you get off this planet <laughs> And figure out how to live on Mars or somewhere else. Uh, but he's he's sort of he's hedged his bet. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we are do- thrilled with what these companies have been able to do. They've been uh, so much, and it's so much fun to back the entrepreneur at this early stage when they're just getting going and seeing the sparkle in their eyes and you know, the vision that they have and say, oh, okay, is this a good vision? Is this something I want the world to look like? And uh, and then I'll back it and and uh, build a relationship with somebody who might end up being a huge success or they might end up having a, yet another one of our failures, which we do have. We, we live, probably lose half the investments that we make.
0: Right. Now I noticed, when you first took your SBIC, people may not know, you took the SBIC and you leveraged it, came up with $6 million of investable assets and your first
1: investment in a home security company. Was that your first loss? That was a disaster. (laughs) 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 But fortunately, I did three at the same time or roughly at the same time. One was Parenting Magazine, one was Parametric Technology which became PTC, which is the—I don't know—it's twelve. That was million. your home run. That was a
0: fifty-something million. That dollar was a big
1: that. monster. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I was able to to, um, and back then, you know, government was a lot easier. Mm-hmm. We um, look—I was twenty-six years old, and I was leveraging up some private companies, and borrowing government money to get going. And I remember it was only one guy who ran the SBIC program for the whole country, and there were nobody else was there. Maybe he had an assistant. That was it. And he, I, I talked with him on the phone, and we went through it. And he, he's going through his checklist, and he goes, "Okay, well, wait, you have to have ten years of investment experience." And I said, "Well, I've been investing since I was ten years old." And he goes, <laughs> and "He goes, check." He gave you nod. And he gave me the nod, and then I was able to borrow six million dollars to go to to put to work, and that was amazing. And now, now the SBIC, I have to pay one hundred fifty thousand dollars in legal fees just to get my first application in for a new SBIC license, and then and there are 800 people in the SBIC program and they're it's far less efficient and effective it's just too big too many people you know it should be back to that one guy and yeah. we'd be we'd be much better off and now there's so many rules all these regulations all these things and the leverage we get is only one to one it used to be right. three to um, one i think they have a few special cases where they'll take it a little higher but i uh, i know that they i think what's happened is they've learned from their mistakes so anybody who failed to pay them i've been I'm fortunate i've been able to pay them back once relevered up pay them back again um and now i'm talking to them one more time uh but no, that was, uh, it was an amazing program before and it's a and it's sort of an okay program now okay now
0: one of the things that i noticed in your first investments you were in a certain dollar range you were putting between 175 and 250,000 per investment nowadays fast forward what is the reasonable amount to invest in a startup if i'm a guy who's creating a fund that's a hundred million dollar fund what's the reasonable time reasonable amount to put with a company for the first time.
1: So if you have a $100 million fund, you should think in terms of 30 to 40 investments. Well, if it's early stage. If it's late stage, you can cut that down to 15. Uh But early stage, 30 to 40 investments. And that would mean, um, and you need management fees. So let's say that the $100 million is really only investing about 80. you invest 80 million in 40 Mm -hmm. companies that's Mm -hmm. 2 million each and what that also means is that that's 2 million over the life of that fund which means your first investment should be like half a million or three quarters of a million because Mm -hmm. you're going to need to double or triple it Mm -hmm. uh, to stay in when as other investors come in and and you, you're gonna to wanna to also be opportunistic, where if you've got a real winner, you wanna be able to load up the boat.
0: Have some fresh um, powder that you can put in there, right?
1: Yeah, you wanna have some fresh powder and just load it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, you never wanna really have more than, eight, maybe 10%. Eight
0: to 10% of the company?
1: It, no, eight to 10% of the fund in any one company.
0: Okay, okay.
1: You really never want to get that exposed.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, it, it, you end up hanging out there a little bit too much. And people want a diversified portfolio of venture capital. They don't want you to back three companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're investing $750,000, that's great. Uh, for an, uh, very early stage investments, you can lead those deals, or it's something where you could kind of tag along on a series A and then participate later in B, C, D.
0: Now, it seems like I've been seeing that probably in the last five to seven years, a lot of VC firms have been at tag along. Somebody has a winner and they let everybody pile in and keep the valuation up, but the revenue doesn't justify these valuations. What do you think of that? <laughs> well,
1: avoid those deals. <laughs> you don't want to be in the, the what do they call those? The venture capital club deals. It's like the club all comes in at once. It's like the the uh, sheep all running right off the cliff, and just because they they're all in the pack, and so then they all have to roll. Run off the cliff, right. and they, and then the sheep. None of them is willing to face the fact that they were wrong, right. so they'll just keep pouring money into that thing to justify their their reason for getting into it. Yeah, yeah. It, it. A lot of those. There are some weird non-economic issues that come up in various venture capital partnerships that. Uh, make no sense, which I've been freed of by um, spinning out and doing my own thing.
0: Now, let me ask you this question. Uh, I noticed that you went to Detroit to meet with the Rhubarb Investment Group. What did you learn from that?
1: <laughs> I love that you read my book. You are awesome. You are awesome. That is so much fun. Yeah, we, um, that was one of our, our early pitches. Um, John Fisher and I, got yeah, the whole thing went went wrong. We um, we got divert- We were supposed to fly into Detroit to see them, but we got diverted to Milwaukee. We had to drive all night. We stayed in a Motel Six uh, in Battle Creek, Michigan, as I remember, where Kellogg's- Kellogg territory. Um, and then we we finally got there at noon. Pitched the rhubarb investment club. They turned us down (laughs) and then then we ran out of gas on our way to the airport and and I had been running. I had been doing like preparing for a marathon so I could run and run and run. So I said, John, I will go run and I will get gas and I will come back up here and I'll pour it into the tank. And John goes, okay. And then (laughs) he thought, well, I'll push the car so that it it gets closer to where Tim is and it's downhill. So John pushes the car down the hill about half, three quarters of a mile. So wow. I come back, you know, a half hour, hour later with gas and there's no car. <laughs> so the two of us, we clearly, and that's kind of the way it operated. We kind of went out and we operated in the way we thought was right. And then we'd come together and we'd go, oh, oh, that's what you did? Oh, oh, too bad. Anyway, we eventually got to um, the, we, we finally ran into each other, got the gas in the tank. We were in such a hurry. We left the car on the side of the road for Hertz to come pick up. And we said, okay, we got to pay the extra thing for the Hertz to just come pick it up because we got to make our plane. And then we got into the plane and this was also hilarious. They, they stuck us way in the back of the plane in three seats that did not lean back. So, and we're both big. And so was the other guy. And I was in the middle seat. And so I would get up to stretch my legs and, um, and then the, the uh, flight attendants said, well, why are you up? And I said, you know, I, I'm not sure I can, you know, take the whole flight sitting in that little tiny place. And uh, so I'd like to just stand here for a while and then I'll go back, and sit down, I'll come back and stand. They said, well, if you're standing here, why don't you, you know, why don't you help us out? I said, okay. They handed me all the hot towels and I went, hotel, 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 hotel. They <laughs> handed out all the hot towels up and down the airplane. It was anyway, it was a great trip, made for a great story, but um, we came back with nothing. Rhubarb Investment Club did come yes. into our next fund. Mm. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, but from that
0: event, you you actually, you went to your meeting for the, was it the
1: PTC meeting? Oh, yeah. Let's see. We, oh, oh, oh you're really, you're having some fun today. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, I got a chance to, uh, first I met with this guy. Um, oh, first I had had a summer job. Um, with Bill Poduska, who had started Apollo Computer, and he was very nice and let me kind of be a fly on the wall for the summer, and, and I was in between years at business school, and and uh, and I then I I went back to business school, came back, I started my venture business, and I called Bill and I said, well, what are the what are the software companies that are going to run on this Apollo uh, hardware? And he gave me names of two companies, and one was uh, SPG Consulting, and one was Polygen. Polygen was a computer-aided chemistry company, and SPG Consulting was computer-aided uh, design, hardware or uh, physical mechanical design. And I had been studying that market for a while. So anyway, um, I got I got very excited about this, and. John Feddersen, who was an expert, he had run some computer-aided mechanical design company in the past and he was a venture capitalist and I said, come join this company and we'll invest together and it'll be great. So we did that and then he said, well, I've got this great CEO and VP of business development that I want you to meet. And so I went and... Being a young guy, but getting a little bit older, um, I got I, I went and I shook hands with all the, these two guys and you know wanted to make a good impression and all that. And I sat down, my pants ripped right up the back because I had gained weight and I didn't really know it. It, it happens to you when you're like 29 or 30. All of a sudden you fill out and you're your old pants don't work. Um, and so we got a big kick out of that. And uh, They were fantastic. They were great to work with. We, we helped get that company started and they built an amazing company in parametric technology.
0: So Tim, a lot of people, my dad asked me a question early this morning I was talking to him and he said, do you think it's the idea or the, or the the, the the people in the company or the person driving the company that make the difference. Which one are you investing in? Or is both?
1: Well here I can I can tell you how it was at the beginning and I can tell you how it is now. At the beginning, I would go around and knock on doors of anything that had software written on it. Any <laughs> new construction project, anywhere out there in the Silicon Valley, I'd knock on the door and say, hey I'm in the venture capital business. Nobody knew what that was. I had to explain it, um, and then the, you know, the CEO would look at me, and kind of circumspect. I don't know about this guy, um, but he says he wants to write me a check. So I, I'm going to listen, um, <laughs> and uh, and so then it was a lot more about the people, but but my clearing. Place was that most of what I did there I did some consumer deals too most of what I did was software well today most of what I do is uh, technology but instead of like knocking on doors in hopes that I can talk to somebody I um, I get 20,000 business plans a year and I choose about 20 of them to fund so it's big ratio what do you Uh, about twenty wow. out of twenty thousand, um, and so I wow. can't meet with twenty thousand people. I could uh, no way I could do that in a year. So right. I um, I filter them down based on uh, the idea, but it's not really the idea. It's really is this market currently dominated by monopolies or oligopolies that are providing bad service at a high cost so you can mm-hmm. things that come to mind are, are banks provide mm-hmm. bad service at a high cost insurance companies same thing healthcare bad mm-hmm. service high cost relative i mean a lot of great workers do a lot of great work right. but it's just for the amount of money you provide you pay they're providing bad service for a high cost and uh, and there isn't enough competition to to improve that they the drug companies, I mean they're only like i don't know seven major drug companies, and they they pretty much dominate whatever it is that's gonna go into your body when you're sick um, It's clearly wrong, and it needs to be broken but uh, and so it's these entrepreneurs that I'm backing that are gonna go after that and of course, the biggest monopoly oligopoly that um exists that provides the worst service at the highest cost is government. Right. And and, uh, and interestingly, government, healthcare, banking, insurance, real estate, have all been pretty immune to the technology of the internet coming and sweeping through and changing media, communications, information, uh, hotels, taxis. And, the internet changed a whole bunch of industries, but, but those biggest industries in the world were pretty much immune to the internet, but they're not immune to these new technologies. Yeah. New technology like artificial intelligence and, um, and uh, surveillance combined with Bitcoin, blockchain, smart contracts. Suddenly you have, you could put an insurance company together with just machines. You can do healthcare with just data. This COVID thing has proven that right. the best the best solutions to a virus like this tend to be found through what they call the dry lab, which is all data driven, and uh-huh. not the wet lab, which is like chemicals and biochemicals. Testing. It's it's run a, put the disease up there on the screen and run a whole bunch of drugs against it. And find one that fits the best, and then that's the one that you can use to get rid of COVID. Well, um, these these new technologies, you know, and, and Bitcoin, my gosh, it's so much better than our current currencies uh, mm-hmm. that that you we have a whole new world opening up, and the banks are all resisting it because they kind of like the old way. Where they they get 2%, 4% every time you swipe your credit card, that's going to the bank. Right. Um, and and now you're not that's not gonna work anymore because you you can pay if you pay with Bitcoin, it can be frictionless. It can be no payment to the bank. Right. So banks have to rethink what their service is, they have to improve, and that competition that's created by these new Startups is really valuable. So, to finish up on a short question with a very long answer, I look for an industry that needs it mm-hmm. with a technology that's new, but but um, usually not unproven. but mm-hmm. it's a technology that's been around a little bit, but has never been applied to that industry. And then I then I meet the people. And when I meet the people, i'm looking for just a few things i i'm looking for i i want to say enthusiasm for the for the job but it's it's not like a cheerleader it's like deep down i mean cuz like you look at elon musk he's very straight you know he's not cheering anything on he's very uh dedicated and driven and he's got perseverance and he executes well and all that um i'm looking for somebody who has that in their heart where it's like i have to do this this is so important to me i i need this to happen the world needs to see this and then the people who are the most successful were always the ones who told me that they did this to delight their customer to make their customer so happy that they didn't, they didn't even know they needed it, but boy, do they need it now. Like, and that's sort of where Steve Jobs, his brilliance is that he just knew what the customer wanted, even though the customer didn't even know it. And he did everything he could to make that customer happy. And, and having that, those two things, you know, sort of a real dedication to what you're doing and a, and a love for the customer, you know, I want to provide this for people. That's a that's a thing. Provide something great for people. That's when I'll back up.
0: Uh, and I um I, I I spent like about seventeen years in the investment business. Nine years in Chicago with Merrill Citigroup mostly. And I had a short stint with with Walmart which I thought management structure, but I learned so much about processes and routines and systematizing and making things replicatable. And uh, I thought that, you know, there was a lot of things that are transferable in terms of you look at computer programs, you got the front end and the back end and the front end being like the user experience piece and the stakeholders that you have being your internal staff as well as your customers, how will they understand that? And the feedback you have from one to the other, and the back end, all the data that you're collecting, and the decisions that you decide on what direction you need to go in terms of whatever your data analytics tell you, what you need to sell more of, or, or what feedback they're, they're saying in terms of the service is not great in this area or that area. Do you find
1: that that's accurate? That's a great uh, analogy because Walmart does all that amazing process stuff so that they delight their customer at the very end.
0: Mm -hmm. It's like,
1: hey, we're gonna provide a great product at a great price and we're gonna systematize it so it's just so easy for you to get, so easy for you to buy. And they were just so good at that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting, great companies can come from a lot of different approaches walmart squeezed the suppliers they pushed and pushed and pushed and and got the lowest prices they could Um, target wanted to make sure that they got that they had um, all the products you would want in one store so anything you'd need you go to target and you'd get it that was their thing Uh, and then amazon uh, wants to Get that product to your home as quickly as possible. Um, incidentally, Costco, start their business plan, uh, started right. with words Americans have garages. And the reason right. that they started with that is they said, they, Why don't they hold our inventory instead of us?
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> the, whole plot, the whole thing. Give them a, give them fifty rolls of toilet paper, even though they're <laughs> old. It'll take them three years to use it. But here, give them fifty rolls of toilet paper. Um, and that, right. that was uh, that was brilliant too. And the way um, Costco operates is they want healthy suppliers, so they actually do a pretty good fair deal with their suppliers, and they pass that fair deal off to their customers but they make money on their annual fee. So everybody's got a slightly different approach and they all worked. Uh, so that, uh, that just tells you that there is no one right. business model that is going to you know, be the be all and end all, unless it is Amazon's because that one is amazing.
0: <laughs> now Tim, right, the dominator right now. Now, Tim, I, they're giving me um, indications I only have two and a half minutes left.
1: All right, let's do it.
0: So I wanted to do a couple of things. One, I want to request that you give me three copies of me to pay for them to have them ship, have them shipped to me. That would be awesome. Uh, the other thing is three my sponsor the on book? Energy Bar today. I want to send you some of them. What'd you say?
1: three copies of the book yeah oh we'll send those to you but you don't have to pay for anything you just send me an email tim at draper.vc so everybody knows it anybody do not write me and say hey you know i want to get to know you better say (laughs) if you've got a business plan you write don't contact me unless you've got a business plan or you're an investor or something you've got something real real to talk to me about Um, right i'm a venture capitalist that's what i'm looking for but i always do give out my email address so there you go but if you'll send to tim at draper.bc if you'll send me the street address you need those sent to we'll we'll get oh that's awesome
0: i really appreciate you doing that tim
1: no, my pleasure. And okay, then what I'll was the thing one. about the energy bar?
0: Yeah, uh, One Energy Bar. Um, it is a vegetarian energy bar company. Uh, one Energy, um, three different varieties of bars uh, for different times of the day, formulated by a former athlete who happens to be one of my best friends. And I think that you will enjoy the bars, and hopefully you'll give some feedback on them. But we want to send those to you and see what you think of them.
1: That is a cool idea because I know that I can process different things at different times of the day. And I think that that's a um, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, uh, it's um it's a very competitive place to be, but if you get above the noise, yeah. You know, those things are big power yeah. bar, uh kind of food, that's what the youth want. All of those bars, those are, those are big businesses now. Yeah. Uh, so if you somehow can capture them in some way, uh, fantastic.
0: You're absolutely right. As it relates to White Energy. And hopefully they will get the traction that they need. They're already in some equinox here in LA. And hopefully they'll become a household name. So that's the goal. Well, I want to let you know that uh, Silicon Beach Mobile Startup is a production. And the production team behind Silicon Beach Mobile Startup is the reason why we've had the success that we have. So I wanted to give a special thanks out to our production head, Gaston Smith. Gaston is a graduate of USC School of Architecture. He's not only an architectural designer, he's also an artist. So he's responsible for the branding and the logo that you see. And I will make sure that he gets a copy of not only your book, Startup Hero, but as well a copy of your dad's book, The Startup Game. Now, I may want to talk to you later about your publisher because I actually have a print book that's coming out. The book is called, I Decided to Win, Absolute Ownership. And the five areas that we cover in that book, number one, being personal development. Number two, being finance, relationships, career and entrepreneurship. Because I know as an entrepreneur, as a person trying to build a career anywhere in the business world those are all areas that in order to succeed and excel you will only do that if you put the extra time and energy it's that extra 10 percent, as you and your dad have said so thank you again for joining us for another episode of silicon beach mobile startup i'm your host baron burda